Target St. Louis Volume 1 is about post-World War II during the Cold War era, the military conducted secret chemical testing on the most vulnerable population of St. Louis. It's told through the eyes of survivors, people that were children at the time, and now they're in their late, mid-70s, and they just want to get this story out. Kenlock was Missouri's first black incorporated city mm-hmm. in the entire state of Missouri. It was one of the largest all-black communities in the country. It was regarded as the Harlem of the Midwest. There were only a few parts of the city that we could live anyway. Exactly. So Kenlock was that community, and we, we made a place here with the little resources that we had and then you come and tell us okay you're not doing you're not making the best use of this area so we're just going to force you to go somewhere else welcome to st louis in tune with arnold stricker and mark langston where we size up current and historic events involving people places and things in areas such as the arts crime education employment faith finance food health history housing humor justice and sports Our weekly podcast originates from and connects the Gateway City to our country's current cultural fabric and lives. Starting tonight, there are some films that are going to be put on by Cinema St. Louis. And we have two directors in studio, Damian D. Smith, who's director of Target St. Louis, Volume 1, and Alana Marie, who's director of the Kinlock Dock. They're both here, and I want to welcome you both to St. Louis in Tune. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you for having us. I appreciate it as well. Yeah. Now, we're going to bounce back I and forth. I love your energy, by the way. <laughs> yeah, we're, we, yeah, we have everybody sign the wall who's uh-huh. been interviewed, just not on our show, but here at the studio. Okay. Okay, I'm checking out my spot. Both of them talk a little bit about what they've done. I know Damien has to leave at the the bottom of the hour, and so we're going to probably focus on him a little bit more, and then Alana in the second half of the show. And to give a a little intro about Damien, he is, you might have seen him on the television show Snowfall or The Purge where he's been a recurring guest star. That's FX and the USA Networks. Also has done films. He's done theater, has multiple awards. And he's played one of my favorite historical characters, Dred Scott. Mm, You are right in my lane with that. I love (laughs) that. And he's a St. Louis native. Yes, 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 Dred Scott. He's back from New York, and he's here to talk to us about his movie. Mm -hmm. Target St. Louis, Volume 1. Yes. Tell us about it. Oh, tell you about it. Okay, sure. No problem. Target St. Louis Volume 1 is about post-World War II during the Cold War era. The military conducted secret chemical testing on the most vulnerable population of St. Louis. It's told through the eyes of survivors, people that were children at the time, and now they're in their late, mid-70s, and they just want to get this story out. And back in the day when these trucks used to come by spraying for pesticides and things like that, okay, so in those cases, it was zinc, cadmium sulfide, and a lot of other elements that we revealed. in Dioxin. Exactly. Uh, that we revealed in Target St. Louis Volume 1 even more. So those that's what was happening. The government has admitted that they were doing testing and they said they were putting together a defensive weapon just in case Moscow attacked a, a city. So they said it was an aerosol spray study. So they were going to release this cloud of smoke. That was This was the story they said. They were going to release this cloud of smoke to protect American cities from Russian bombers came over and dropped bombs. But come to find out through the research and do everything, it seems like they were putting together a, a offensive weapon to attack Moscow just in case. Again, this is pre-World War. I mean, sorry, post-World War II. There's a lot of things going on. They had got a, they grabbed a lot of scientists 
from over there doing post World War II, and they needed something to do. And they tested on again like the most vulnerable population in St. Louis. So this story is told through these survivors because back then it was like the boogeyman. It was these people, these kids talking about the boogeyman story, and they see these people in astronaut suits <laughs> walking around spraying things and coming out of the top, the back of vans and top of buildings and things like that. And uh, at, Little did they know they would have been subjected to testing without their knowledge. And you found some pretty severe evidence that the government uh, was implicated in this mm, whole thing. Yeah. And pretty, other and chemical companies also. Yeah. There's a few organizations and, and companies in St. Louis that had, was aware, gave a head, gave it, was given a heads up, but then also part of the situation. And we, we revealed this in Target St. Louis Volume 1. We go more in depth uh, of what happened. Then also we go more in depth with the story of these people because there were several things that happened. They're, they're physical, mental. There's a lot of things that took place that affected our people. Wow. Mm-hmm. And you interviewed residents of Prudigo mm-hmm. who were impacted by this, yep. right? They're not just presidents of Prudigo, but residents of the community. Right. Because, again, it's an aerosol spray study, so that right. goes up in the air and it yeah. spreads around. But Prudigo was the main uh, factor in which they targeted this zone because of the population and then also the conditions that they were left on. They were the people, the, the people in this area, the most vulnerable, and they were underrepresented by their local right. politicians that was put in place to protect them from things like this. Right. So I, so I, with this documentary, we want to examine uh, examine people. They were failed on so many different levels, not just the, the obvious ones that we know about the predators of the situation. But then there were protections that should be in place that that's supposed to people, protect people like that. But again, that's why we go into more of the history of the neighborhood at, at the top, the first act of the documentary to show you how these conditions were put in place for people to come in and be predators on this vulnerable population. Link that a little bit with the Tuskegee mm-hmm. experiments and what was going on. Discuss that a little bit Very about much so. how you did that. The link of the Tuskegee experiments, which is sad that we came about to knowing about this thing, is that these were happening concurrent at the same time. So wow. what was happening is that our... Um, our government had two tests happening on the most vulnerable population of the United States happening concurrently. And, and they were all, they were up under the National Board of Health. So just imagine what the National Board of Health represents and to think that you sh- this is where you should be most the most protected and be able to live your healthy yeah. life with their help. Right. But actually they were um, doing the opposite. But this was at that time, again, post-World War II during the Cold War era and some time after that, but... Before yeah. the, to, the, to the two until Prudigo actually came down. Yeah, yeah. Damien was talking about some dioxin mm-hmm. kind of related things. Russell Bliss, if you're a St. Louisan, you may remember mm-hmm. that name. He sprayed mm-hmm. dioxin out at Times Beach, and Times mm-hmm. Beach no longer exists because they dug it all up. And also, what was going on for the Manhattan Project? A mm-hmm. lot of the radiation and radioactive waste mm-hmm. was stored in North St. Louis and yeah. then shipped out to the airport area, mm-hmm. and was in just barrels. We talked about that Coldwater Creek and how it's all dumped now out at uh, the Bridgeton landfill out there, and is contained. Contained. This is what he's talking about here, and the movie's going to be. It's free, mm-hmm. yeah. and it's tonight. Yeah. At where's it going to be and what time? It's going to be seven thirty at Washington University. Um, a seven thirty Washington University. Please come. I would love everyone to come and check out this documentary because this is the target demographic. I made this. Do- this is a passion project. These are the uh, people that's included in this documentary are, are family. I can tell you a little bit how I came about this documentary. I, I was going to ask you. Okay, that. well I wait. I'm sorry. <laughs> 
Damien, how did you come about with this documentary? <laughs> oh, wow. Now, listen, that is an amazing question. <laughs> amazing, amazing question. So I came um, across this, to do this documentary by my grandmother, who's also included in this documentary, Sarah Modella Borns, mm. who was an activist uh, her entire life, worked with Lutheran Ministry with the reentry of people who were, if you're a family member, say hypothetically one of your family members were in jail or something like that. Most of the time, the power of attorney went to the grandmother or aunt or uncle right. or some other family member and her job was to make sure that person who helped that child with the process of one family member being in jail and also have some semblance of a regular life with it with whoever was awarded. She took care of those whole things. So she took her a lot. So she was engaged politically my entire life. So what happens is me and my grandmother, how we used to communicate with each other, she used to send me, my grandma ain't texting nobody usually at the time. So she would send me letters. And most of the time these letters were including just gossip about the family or what's going on and some mail clippings on sometimes. So this time she sent me a news clipping from the Post-Dispatch speaking about um, Dr. Martino Taylor her finally they did a blurb in the Post-Dispatch uh, she sent it to me and I read it and we and I called her like, hey what's going on she said yeah I was this is the neighborhood that I was in this is where we grew up at this community and I was like oh wow I had never heard of this so I started you know doing more research and finding out what was going on and it really disturbed me that this thing happened in my community in my neighborhood from where, I, where I'm from and happened to my friends, families, and fellow St. Louisians. I, I started to do an documentary and just took off from there. But it all started with my grandmother and us talking and having conversations about this. And she told me after the fact, once I got into the document, she said, I knew exactly who I was sending it to. And I knew exactly what I was doing. <laughs> so, yeah, she knew that this might have been something that I that would have pulled me. Because it really just blew my mind when I realized what actually happened. And, did you, and that... You can do this to the people at the time were in the most vulnerable oh, situation because yeah. Pruitt Igo was in a complete deterioration at the time right. that they did this. And if you know the history of Pruitt Igo, the housing complex, you will know that it started off with great intentions. I don't know if my our listeners can't hear my air, my air quotes. Uh, <laughs> see my air quotes, but there were great intentions that it started off with, but then then rapidly it deteriorated, especially after it became less. Um, when it came desegregated because it was segregated housing at first it was the Pruitt side and the Igo side and the Pruitt side was named after a Tuskegee Airman and the Igo, the Igo side was named after a uh, a, okay. a politician there to say that uh, let's say maybe have a questionable history yeah uh, <laughs> push some buttons and, yeah. yeah yeah so had a hand under the table Exactly. So the thing so it went on but after a certain period of time they re- removed all the resources from that and the people of Pruitt Igo had to was responsible for maintaining those complexes and things like that. With big. yeah, it was those are big complexes, huge complexes, yeah, huge. It Again, fell like within 10, yeah. 10 years. With the thing is that it was the first. It was the first of its kind. Right. Mm-hmm. It was the first housing community being offered by the subsidized by the government. So they and they sold this as the shining house on the hill. So the most people that was the same, especially before Great Migration, before the Great Migration, where we came from the South and migrated up for economic opportunity and upward mobility, we all navigated to locations where we feel that it would be great for us, especially right. from the heinous atrocities that we were escaping. Right. So the um, so when it got to St. Louis. We were in downtown St. Louis, where it was in squalor. Some elements, dirt floors, elements of that we had. We were still pulling together and and stored in our life. But then here we come with, here's a shining castle that you can live in with elevators and indoor heating, plumbing, and things like that. And some people in the documentary, once you watch Target St. Louis Volume One, you will understand that some people had their own reservations about it and didn't. But some, but the majority of the folks, they went in because they was like, hey, this is what we came up here for. And then for that to happen, um, 
is very interesting. It's, it's, wow, it's, uh, so much there. <laughs> You're listening to St. Louis in Tune with Arnold Stricker and Mark Langston. When you were talking about that, mm-hmm. it reminded me of Mill Creek Valley. Mm-hmm. And, hey, we've got this wonderful situation over here for you. Go move there. Because it wasn't that – I'm saying this now. It wasn't that we wanted to provide a wonderful situation. Is mm-hmm. that we wanted to move a group of people out of downtown or move mm-hmm. a group of people to another area, mm-hmm. which – Alana's going to be talking about in Kinlock mm-hmm. and, you know, what happened in Kinlock and other areas here in Brentwood, what happened out in Chesterfield. Many things like that, historic black communities, are decimated or population of black communities are moved from one place to another because land is valuable to business owners or to governments. And so let's push them out. You're laughing. Am I touching the right uh, buttons here? On the right, you, you're touching that. You're 100% correct. But it's so interesting because what happens, especially, let's say talk about St. Louis, like in redlining yep. and things like that. Wow. So what, what happened is, is that, okay, so we don't want our tax dollars to go to everybody, which include, I'm just going to say, people of color. Right. So what happens is that they moved. This is back then. They moved out to the counties, the suburbs, and also put into places like redlining where we could not get out in in these communities. And they took all their tax dollars and and built these all these little municipalities around St. Louis that's taking away the money that could be that should be there to build up St. Louis, greater St. Louis city and build our school system to be stronger, to build our our fire departments, to build all these things that should be happening with these tax dollars. But no, they pulled them out, made their own little subdivisions and then told people of color you couldn't move there and then and built on their school systems with their tax dollars and and left the city to decay. So that was part of the reasons why again the uh, sorry I touched the mic. So those part of the reasons again when the segregation part of Prudigo went away after a big storm that you'll find out in Target St. Louis volume 1. After the storm and most of the people um most of the white people actually moved out and did what was hoped and promised and then became predominantly African-American in the Port Igo, they just let it go. And then, and, and that's that right there is creating right. a, 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 that's just easy. Let's just say bad situation. That's nicely, a great situation. Nicely put. That's nicely put. Right? So, yeah, but again, all those economic dollars are in these little bitty subdivisions and with these phenomenal school systems that historically did not allow African-Americans to, to participate in that so system. Sad. Now, now, if you can't make it there tonight, you can watch online. Mm-hmm. And let's say you can't watch online tonight or be there tonight. How can someone watch the documentary movie that you made? You know what you can do? You can follow me at Damian D. Smith on all social media and also Target St. Louis Volume 1. It's all one word, Target, St. Louis, Volume 1, no period. You can follow those two uh, social media channels because we will be updating everyone on what's going on. Because after St. Louis, we go to Toronto for the film festival there. And then we're actually talking to different people and looking for distribution deals where we can have a more, either we're going to have a a theatrical run or a online distributor of someone that'll pick it up and license it or buy it. Now, you've been on the other side of the lens, Mm -hmm. mostly. Mm. What was the impetus to be on the 180-degree view of the lens. In other words, you're looking through the lens now. Mm-hmm. You're not having the lens look at you. Yeah, yeah. That's, it's a trip. It's a different, different skill set, a different mentality. What inspired it was, I. this is my first feature documentary, but my last short narrative, my, it won, um, I won Best, Jesus Christ, the Gentleman Jack Daniels uh, Filmmaker of the Year Award. 
So I, we won that, and then my and then another short narrative that I that I did called uh, about that. It won the art art and impact award in out of San Francisco. So we've I'm a story. So performing and acting is my passion. That's my uh, that's my initial that's my initial storytelling. We have another storyteller here too. <laughs> there we go. Exactly. The right? medium can change. The medium can change. So uh, uh, you know, I did my theater in New York City. I won a I won the I can also I got nominated for nominated for best. Uh, one man show in New York, and then I and then I moved over to L.A. to pursue film and television, which was another passion of mine. It's all a gumbo right. of storytelling, and I saw I, I made it a point to learn. I made it a point to learn everything I needed to learn. So I I, I was a grip. So when I was on tour with a play, right? So I'm on tour with a play. So the tour that I was on wasn't consistent like five months out and you back. So I'll be out for a month and I'm back in for three weeks and I'm out for two months. So the in, within the time I was in in New York City, I learned to be a grip, uh, a swing. Uh, I learned everything you need to do and need to know behind the scenes. Right. I've produced, I, I, I had a theater company, so I know how to get things. I'm an executioner when it comes to that type of element. I kill things, I make it happen. But the point is that I wanted to learn everything I needed to learn because I knew that storytelling was going was going into writing and directing. And, 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 and when I got to L.A., that's when I got into, I executed that at that, that level, that plans. I, I do plans, right? So now we're on year seven of a the second part of my five-year plan. So this is year seven of a 10-year plan. And it's moving, it's doing what it's right now and just working towards everything, getting everything complete. So I tell stories. That's what it is. Passion is acting and directing because I like to control the narrative of what I'm the story I'm telling. You, you have a great resume, Damien. Thank and you. it's, I, I see volume one. Mm-hmm. So I'm presuming there's going to be a volume two and three, okay, and and maybe more. You know, I'm presuming that. <laughs> no, I can tell you. I can tell you my thoughts. Uh, all right, all right. Tell like us I said, it's planned out already. All right, well, you hear it here first, exactly. folks. Yeah. So, volume one is part of an anthology series that I'm doing. So, Vi- Target St. Louis volume one is the first one that it starts what 50s, 60s, 70s, right yeah. early on. Okay. So, at the next one is going to be Victory High, and that's low key. Volume two, St. Louis Volume Two, and that's a story. If you want to know, I can give you a brief little rundown if yeah. you want. No, okay, yeah. sure. Uh, first, I, I have to say this: here first on St. Louis, and it's supposed to be here. It's supposed to be heard here first because I'm shooting it in St. Louis. Again, these is, these volumes are part of a series of stories that I want to tell in St. Louis because I want to rejuvenate the film industry in St. Louis. I, you can see. If you go to Boston, Boston has an identity, right? Because you've seen so many different films about Boston, about the people of Boston, the type of grit they're made from, because you got Matt Damon, Ben Affleck, all these people making these stories about right. Boston. You get to understand the people up there. Right. Atlanta, the same thing. You right. get a sense of what Atlanta is. You get a sense of L.A., of course, New York, of course. No one really knows what St. Louis is to the general public. And we are a bastion of creativity. We are a bastion of dope things. And our story is rich and this St. Louis always, they would consider St. Louis to be the capital of the United States yep. at one point yep. that's the level of how rich we got the Dred Scott case which which was like sort of the, the, the Missouri Compromise sort right. of the Louisiana Purchase right. all that stuff is tied in because of St. Louis right. the GOP is formed because of the Missouri Compromise based in St. Louis right. you see what I'm saying so <laughs> you got St. Louis and that's just off the top of the head it's a much deeper history mm-hmm. so we need to talk about the identity of St. Louis we need to talk about the people of St. Louis a lot more so these four films is what I'm going to as a process and it's going to help uh, rejuvenate hopefully the uh, film industry so Victory High starting off by saying it's a fictional story it's fiction I wrote it I made it up alright so because everyone I talked to got that same story in their community 
they also let me know I'm on the right path. Uh, <laughs> so Victory High, it's about the most successful high school basketball coach in Missouri athletic history. Air quotes again, people who ain't listening. In Missouri athletic history, ba- uh, coming off the heels of his latest state championship. Uh, but the issue is that this brother is a pedophile. So the story is told through the eyes of the story is told through the eyes of two high school students. One being the newly recruited high school basketball star, and the other being the editor in chief of the high school's newspaper and blog. And she's dead set on taking this coach down because he uh, molested her uncle two decades ago and ruined his life. So the pair team up under some devious circumstances that she dupes this player in t- and to uh, take on this Goliath-sized challenge of this Bobby Knight-type character coach who throws a lot of influence around. He's very He's been around. He's hiding in plain sight. So the tagline for the film is Victory High, where winning is the best disguise. That's another one. That's our second volume. Okay. Then we have a third and a fourth volume that's already set up and wrote. Okay. Yeah. Right. Wow. I know. I can't wait. I want to see it now. <laughs> you want to see it now? Oh, it's coming. I'm a, listen, are we, we're, at, we're still in the uh, fundraising phase of this okay. situation, my good people. Right. So if anyone's Speak listening. On Speak on it. Go I ahead. know that's yes. right. So if anyone's listening again, you can follow me. And we can get information. We're looking for people who would like to be a part of the project in any aspect or any way. We're also, I want to have most, the score from people in St. Louis. The actually score of this documentary is done by Kelvin Bell. This brother's from St. Louis. He's a musical director of the Classical Theater of Harlem, where I was part of a member of. And then also he was, a, he's also, I was on, I said Nancy Wilson, he's on tour with Cassandra Wilson. One of the Wilsons, I'm sorry. Uh, he's on tour with, this brother's phenomenal. When you hear the film, you see him and Michelle, our other uh, musical director. This guy's amazing. He worked with Hans Zimmer, nominated for his oh, wow. Emmys and Oscars. Oh, Just wait till you hear this movie. It's yeah. amazing. Uh, but it's St. Louis guy. So with this movie, Victory High, I want St. Louis artists. So if you're a St. Louis artist, a rapper, a musician, please, please hit me up. Follow me. Follow Damian D. Smith. I'm, and the story's already written. We're already pushing it out. We got a lot of interest. Cool. It's going to be uh, it's going to be things. So that's the second film that I'm filming in St. Louis. That's my feature, my first feature narrative. That's going to be my baby. Ooh. So this ah. is Ooh. Cinema St. Louis, and tonight at Washington University is at the Brown Theater. Is that- mm-hmm. Yes, sir. It is free online. If you want to watch it online, it is five dollars. And if you go, just go to cinemastlouis.com or just punch in Cinema St. Louis in the goggle search, you'll be able to find out what's going on. And you'll also be able to find out about Elena's movie, that is The Kinlock Doc, and that's going to be tomorrow night, but that's at the Tivoli and online, so stay tuned for that after the next, after this segment is over. Damien, I'm glad you came in. It's been gas, and let's stay in touch because sure. I'd love to know more about the other movies and mm-hmm. the volumes that are coming out, and just follow your career, and please feel free to be at home here anytime you want. Beautiful. I would love to. And I thank you good people for doing this. And this service is needed for St. Louis because we need to hit, talk about our arts. We need to talk about our community. So I thank you good people for making this happen because it's definitely what's needed. Yeah. We thank you. <laughs> Alana Marie, who's the director of the Kenlock Doc, is here. And you have a very engaging kind of story. And, and I love this. You say engaging content isn't what isn't saying what you think people want to hear. It doesn't have to include industry jargon just to sound like an expert. It doesn't come across salesy just to make sale. Now, here's the point, folks. Engaging content 
speaks to what you believe and trust that others will resonate with and is inclusive of your personality and your voice. I loved that. That yeah. was wonderful. I meant it, and, and, I, and I meant it. Yes. And you're a storyteller. I am a storyteller. When did you start telling stories? Um, honestly, now that I'm an adult and I'm reflecting on just my habits as a child and really tapping into my inner child, like I started as a writer, like um, COVID really showed me how much of an introvert that I really am. So when I was younger, I would be in my room. I would write short stories. I would write fictional stories. I would write poetry. I would write music. Um, that never saw the light of, but it was just never really cultivated as something that could be a job or a business until I became an adult. But I've always been a storyteller. I've always been intrigued by stories. I would be 11 years old watching the Lifetime channel. Like, <laughs> really, a Sunday afternoon, Sunday evenings, I would watch Lifetime. You're an old soul. I'm a very old soul. Very old solid. As they say, I've, I've been here before, apparently. Do you still have some of those stories that you wrote when you were a youngster? I, they're probably under my bed, <laughs> and that's probably where they need to stay. Um, I'm sure I do. I'm sure I do. Now, so. What was the, that got you going about Kinlock? Honestly, my relationship to Kinlock, other than my family being from there, but by the time I was born, my family was long gone out of the city. So I would hear my father reference the area time in and out as I was coming up. But it wasn't until I was 25 years old. I was actually, I went to school at the Brown School of Social Work. I got my master's in social work. And we were taking a course about systemic racism in East St. Louis by the, the elaborate professor, Jack Kirkland. And Jack Kirkland, yeah. Yeah, amazing. I went to school with his son. He is amazing. <laughs> I love Professor Kirkland. But no, he, we had a class, and the, the first day of the class, the assignment was to take a bus tour through historic black communities, Kinlock mm-hmm. being one of them. We went through where Mill Creek Valley once was. We went through mm-hmm. Wildwood, Chesterfield, and of course, Kinlock. We're driving through Kinlock, and I'm like, yeah, my, my family's from here, but I don't know much about it or what happened. Like, I, I wonder what happened to the city. I wonder if there is a documentary about this film. Hmm. And so October 28th, 2016, I posed a Facebook status asking, is there a film about the city of Kenlock? And if there is, what's the name? And I screenshot that status now because the name of it is now the Kenlock doc. And so I wanted to know basically what happened in this and more so it, it allowed me a chance to get closer with my father to learn about his upbringing. And mm-hmm. also between 2014 and 2016, I had a lot of family death. My grandmother, and my aunt passed away two months apart. Another aunt passed away a year after that and an uncle passed away a year after that. And these wow. are all on my father's side of the family. Oh, wow. So the elders in my family who lived and thrived in Kenlock are all deceased. Mm. And then my father, who was the baby of the bunch, um, it was a way for me to honor him and his story while he's still alive to be a part of telling this story. So what did you find out about Kenlock that really resonated with you? Man, like how it's it's sad how it's been overlooked and disregarded all of these years. But again, as we were talking in Damien's segment about St. Louis having such a rich history, like Kenlock was Missouri's first black incorporated city mm-hmm. in the entire state of Missouri. It was one of the largest all black communities in the country. It was regarded as the Harlem of the Midwest. You learn about how many significant people came out of Kenlock's um, Maxine Waters, Jennifer Lewis, Dick Gregory. We share him with the veil. Um, the first black six, the first six black superintendents that the state of Missouri had came out of Kenlock. Mm. The first black graduate at St. Louis University came from Kenlock. Kenlock Airfield, like Teddy Roosevelt was the first president to ever fly on a plane. And where did that happen? In Kenlock. And so for people to just drive past it unknowingly because you can't see it when you're coming up the highway, it's literally to see Kenlock, you have to have business in Kenlock. So nobody really has business in Kenlock. So there's no reason to be there. But for me, it's very frustrating to know that Kenlock, specifically for me, because I have 
roots there, mm-hmm. but it's just one of many black communities that is often overlooked and disregarded as another, again, same story, different day. But the story needs to be told for that community. It gets destroyed because of big box stores, or it gets destroyed because of highways, or because we just want to move a population to somewhere else yeah. because that ground is valuable. I remember when uh, driving by the when 170 went through, Mm-hmm. And 170 wasn't even up there. It took a lot of uh, buildings and homes from Kenlock. And also, when Kenlock just all of a sudden just disappeared mm-hmm. from the highway or from the airport buyout, what did you find out about the airport buyout there? It's, it's sketchy. It's messy. To my understanding, uh, that this has been in the plans for quite some time prior to the actual really? signatures on the paper, which is frustrating because. As you like black people, there were only a few parts of the city that we could live anyway. Exactly. So Kenlock was that community, and we we made a place here with the little resources that we had. And then you come and tell us, okay, you're not doing, you're not making the best use of this area, so we're just gonna force you to go somewhere else. Right. It, it's, they keep doing that, but specifically with the airport, there were plans to expand their runways because they were making plans to become a hub. Like international is still in mm-hmm. our airport's name. Mm-hmm. It's nothing international about yeah, we're, we're, bar- we're barely a regional <laughs> airport. Exactly. It's a lot that. of space, a lot of unused space. Uh-huh. But they made plans to expand the runways, and but it happened so quickly. And, and they just came in and they, they bought out these houses to a community that was really impoverished. Like Kenlock, they use each other for their resources and, and they made do for themselves. All, fair, all things fair, like they were an impoverished community. So if people are coming in with these suitcases and businesses telling you that you can live somewhere else that's seemingly better for this amount of money. There, a lot of them are going to take that, especially if your neighbors right. are gone. But what happened is they never expanded the runway. And eventually, this was when TWA was still up. TWA was bought out by American Airlines. And then unfortunately, September 11th happens. And then everything goes down. So mm-hmm. that land lay dormant. 20 years mm-hmm. to the point where you have grass as tall as this this studio you mm-hmm. have trees people were talking about deers and foxes and all of crazy wildlife in suburban wow st louis county because it was like why did if we have to move all of these people out if you knew or did you know mm-hmm. that the expansion plans were never going to happen but that's that's just from what i heard and now land that's a great question is yeah. has been redeveloped with yeah. there's these warehouses like crazy They're commercial keep, industry they keep building warehouses out there. yeah commercial over a third of kenlock maybe even more is used for commercial industry and that's i terrible. think within the next seven to ten years that is where it's gonna what did you draw on for resources to, uh, besides talking to your father, and I know you went into Kinlock and yeah. talked to some of the, I'm going to call them the elders yeah. of the uh, community, the Ken- the- and what are some other resources that you utilize to um, draw on? So I, when I started, after I making that Facebook post, my, my father has an older sister, my Aunt Yvonne, who's almost 20 years older than my father, so I started with her because by the time she was an adult, my dad was still a child, and so I connected with her. Uh, she told me very early, like, Alana, I'm not going to be on nobody's camera. However, I can connect you to some people who would be very interested. Okay. Huh. So between October and all the way up until March of 2017, again, while I'm still a student, I'm a grad student at this time, I'm just doing informational interviews. I'm meeting with people. I'm calling people. 
And one thing about Kenlockians, they love talking about their city. Right. And so I had coffee meetings. The the Kenlock ladies, they would meet at Cracker Barrel hmm. the first Monday of every month. And I just moseyed and made myself <laughs> in there. And I, I became like an honorary granddaughter to all of these elders oh, who knew great. my grandmother, <laughs> who knew my aunts oh. and uncles who were now deceased, who knew my, my father when he was a child. And they shared a lot of information for me and being able to take that and research and a lot of YouTube University, a lot of Google, a lot of connecting with St. Louis filmmakers to come and sit with me as well. Like I have no filmmaking experience. I was in graduate school to be a social worker. My plans were to manage a nonprofit when I graduated. Wow. I come from, <laughs> I've, I've, my industry has been in education. I've been in education for seven years, specifically in college access, but I've always loved storytelling and, and learning people's stories and I've always been intrigued by documentaries and for whatever reason Kenlock just never left my spirit of why this happened and I had no intentions of it turning into what it is now if it never left my MacBook I was okay because I knew right. I wanted to do it specifically for my family I had no idea that it would grow to this thing because it was this what little I'm going to call it a teaser. Yeah. It and was then a, all of a sudden, it's this full-blown documentary now. Yeah, it was a four-minute teaser. When I graduated from the Brown School, I got accepted into a media training program called Continuity. And it was in a, I was in the inaugural class. And it was a nine-month training program. We met once a week for three weeks. It was free for adults who were interested in media production. Wow. So the alignment. Right. I graduated in May. This program starts in August. And it was through that program that I was actually trained on how to make a film. And so the short version was birthed through that class. Okay. And so that's how we got into the, the St. Louis International Film Fest. And from there, people were like, okay, where's the longer version? Well, where's the longer version? Right. I'm like, the longer version takes longer money. I don't, and I don't know how <laughs> to do this. Open up your pocketbooks. Yeah, time. I don't know how to do this. But people were interested in our, you know, the Regional Arts Commission provided me, the Gephardt Institute at Washington University oh, provided good. me a small grant. Good. I never paid myself. I paid for my DP and my editor, who is the same person who was actually my instructor at Continuity. Wow. I kept it very good tight. The team is very small. And people support and so in, in April of last year, at the height of COVID, I launched a Kickstarter campaign to raise $20,000 for this campaign. And I almost didn't do it. I almost didn't do it because I'm like, we're in a global pandemic. At the top of COVID, we didn't know what it was. Like, people were passing away. People were losing uh -huh. their jobs. It was just very chaotic. And I felt, is me making this ask for money for this project, is this okay? And my campaign manager was like, Alana, you have to understand, like, this is essential to you. And not everybody is experiencing this pandemic in the same exact way right. like allow people to support you and if they can they will if they can't that's okay so not only did we raise 20k we raised 28,000 um Yay. in three weeks wow in three weeks Fantastic. That's crazy. as a first time black female Good inexperienced filmmaker no industry connections just st louis I, I love my and they really rode hard to get this project out and so I, all of the you. kickstarter backer names are in the credits yeah. For that wow. Reason. Good for you. Yeah. yeah. Thank you. That's good to do that because yeah. a lot of people wouldn't think even think to do that. I, yeah. I almost didn't. I almost did not. I almost did not. I'm glad I did. I'm proud of the community for stepping up. Like yeah. That's the thing about St. Yeah. Louis. They are yeah. hardcore committed. They're givers. Uh -huh. Yes. Yes, they are. And good I'm for very them grateful for, for this city. Potential here. Yeah. yeah. The role of education has been important in your life. Yes. And that's reflected in the film also yeah. because the educational system at Kinlock. There is, they had their own school, just, mm -hmm. as, just like North Webster here had their own school. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden, when the merger between Ferguson, Florissant, and Berkeley happens with the school system, yeah. I'll let you 
finish up here. So how I often regard it without giving too much information, because you got to check the whole right, story. In the right. film, but I always regard it as like a one-two blow mm -hmm. to the community. So how I describe what is the Kinlock Doc about, it is about the effects of these two political implications on this community. You have the, the school district dissolution and then you have the airport buyout. The airport buyout wasn't the biggest thing. Like the, the school district dissolution like paved the way right. for that to even occur. So I think in 75, 76, the Supreme Court deemed it the school district unconstitutional because of course it was now an all black community, not by fault of Kinlock. What, what happened, the city of Berkeley was developed only because the white residents of Kinlock at the time did not want their white children going to school with Kinlock. Oh Kinlock was a commuter suburb before it was even incorporated. I Kinlock didn't even was know white. That. Kinlock was white before oh. it was incorporated. Wow. It was a black town by the time it was incorporated. And so that they fought three different times. It, they went to the courts three different times on the books as an incorporated city. Oh, and so God. white residents were like, no, we don't want our kids going to school with your kids. We don't want black leadership. So they created the city of Berkeley. That is the only reason why the city of Berkeley exists, wow, <laughs> which really? is now majority black today, which is crazy. And so what they did, they ended up creating the Berkeley School District, took those resources out of Kenlock to pour into the mm -hmm. Berkeley School Sure they did. And that's how that happened. There's so much wrong with this. <laughs> yes. Like, who, who allowed that to happen in the first place? And the Berkeley School District doesn't, doesn't even exist, exist it, anymore. anymore. They knocked the either. high school down, yeah. the junior high, right. and everything. Yeah. Every, and it's, it's, like I said, same story, different day. Yeah. So oh, that wow. was during the time of the late 30s, early 40s, around the time of incorporation. So the Kenlock School District had an opportunity to have about 25, 30 years, over a little 30 years uh -huh. of its own, because it had one high school. So you had Holy Angels Parish. My father actually went to Holy Angels. And you had a few you know, public schools uh -huh. and then the big high school. So when they decided to dissolve the school district and bust those kids out to neighboring communities, i.e. Ferguson, Florissant, that was the primary one. So my right. father is a decent kid. He was in the seventh grade when he got bust. He told me like wow. it was very ironic because the movie Roots had just came out. So mm -hmm. the racial tension right. is thick. Yeah. And at the time, Ferguson is majority. Ferguson and Florissant is our majority white right. municipality. But when you think about the detriment and the impact of a city like Kenlock, where those students could walk to school if their parents didn't have cars, right. they could stay after school, they could be a part of after school activities, your right. leadership, your lunch ladies, yes. your bus drivers, your superintendents, yes. your school board, all look like you. Yeah. You're going to another more well-funded resource municipality. Mm -hmm. If you are a superintendent of Kenlock, you're not going to be a superintendent of Ferguson Florissant. Right. You're going to be a subordinate. Right. If you have any head roles in Kenlock, you're going to be a subordinate so in this neighboring you know, right. municipality. So true. You so already true. have an established school board. So what representation do these students of Kenlock have for an already established school board? Unbelievable. You have connections that the, teach the teachers lived in Kenlock. They knew who these students were. They knew who these right. families were. And Ferguson Florissant, they don't. No. So then you, you, people talk about that, that Ferguson Florissant was, had more resources. Yes, but that's only a small part of the success of a minority student. You need that social aspect, and it is crucial. You and do. if I feel like my peers don't want me here, if my teachers don't want me here, they're tolerating me, and I can I know oh, that. Say it. Come on. How well do you think I'm going to do? Right. Hurt me. Come on. If, if I had a potential basketball scholarship over here or athletic scholarship or right. a band scholarship, my dad was telling me about they used to have an Afro ball and how they had to fight to bring that into the Ferguson Florissant School District to honor, you know, black culture in this community and so that was the first blow but then what happens in kenlock is now what incentive is there for people to move to kenlock if there's not a school district as a, i have a 12 year old as a mom 
I'm not going to move somewhere there's not a school. Even if I don't send my child there, right. the fact there's not an option. There's no incentive for further growth in that community because right. there's no investment. When the children leave, so does everybody else. Wow. I was talking about what I said a lot. I get really passionate uh, about it. You should be passionate about it. You should be passionate about yeah. it. Yeah. As I was looking in the information, the very first line here, Kinlock is a town on life support. Mm-hmm. Fewer than 200 citizens. And what... I, I find here is that they don't necessarily want people to let's leave us alone. We've been, my words, we've been messed with enough, leave us alone. And they have, they have. And that's part of the reason why it, I, I approached it very carefully because the media's relationship to Kenlock is horrid. Oh, and, and absolutely they're, terrible. Do, yeah, and so they're, they're yeah. very protective. The people who still live there are very protective of the space, rightfully so, because mm-hmm. you all, people with cameras only come out here when there's somebody going to jail or when there's a body being found nobody's really covering the the cleanups or the neighbors helping each other like i during the time of producing this film i was a part of the kinlock reunion committee and we put together the first annual kinlock forever festival there was no news coverage there at all there was no news and not to say that we didn't reach out there was no news coverage there it was a beautiful day no violence all community people right. cars down the street it was an amazing time no news coverage there and that's the kind of event that really should be broadcast yeah, should be celebrating precisely right. what they're doing yes yeah. yeah yeah but i didn't know there was only 200 people left in skinline maybe if that many yeah i didn't know it was it had gotten that low yeah in population yeah. You, to tell then, you how and then there's no the services are yeah, no there's no there's some. no revenue generating businesses to I, my knowledge in in the area. There are some churches there. Churches. There's the city hall. There's a volunteer base, fire station. There's no police station because the police services were contracted out. Mm-hmm. But as far as grocery stores or gas stations, they have to go to neighboring communities like Ferguson or Berkeley right. or Hazel. And then they're doing good things, and they're not celebrating them. Well, and one yeah. of the good things they do is they have a wonderful. I'm going to call it a community garden. Yes. That's you can see off of 170. It's yeah. underneath the power lines. Yeah. And that's been going on for a long time. And so, folks, if you're understanding where this area is, if you're not very familiar with the St. Louis area, between Highway 70 and Interstate 170, mm-hmm. at, at that corner there, mm-hmm. it's on that northeast corner. And the area of Kinlock, and you, as you go towards Berkeley Road, mm-hmm. the area on the right-hand side, on the east side, is, is Kinlock area. And, and what then, a downtown down area. It used to have a hustling and bustling downtown. It was a huge, and even we were talking about before Highway 170 was put through there, just I think about, you know, Washington Park Cemetery. Right. right. My father and I were talking about this yesterday of, like, how many bodies are probably still under, under that highway. Oh, yeah. And just in life and death black people in black space is never regarded or, or revered enough to preserve. And I'm like, they would never do that to Jefferson Barracks. Hurts my heart. They would never do that to Jefferson yeah. Barracks. But when you have a cemetery like Washington Park, which a lot of Kinlockians are actually buried there, World War One, World War Two, you know, veterans are buried there. There's no, in, there's, there's no preservation of black life from birth to death. So where do you go after this particular documentary? Are you going to document? I know you it burns within you because of Kinlock. I know. Are you going to talk about other historic black communities that have disappeared? I want are, to. I would love I see it. I envision wonderful. like a series. Of course, the Tulsa, you know, race rights anniversary was this year and so that was the huge right. wave, but the Rosewood, Florida's or the Seneca villages in New York. Mm-hmm. There's a statement that my father says specifically in the documentary like there's a Kinlock everywhere and there literally is. That's correct. Um, I would love to do that i'm stuck on st louis like even in the city of berkeley 
there are over probably more than this now 20 missing black girls from that zip code alone. And when you think about where Berkeley is stationed, you have 170, you have I-70, and you have 270. Right. So you think about sex trafficking, human trafficking, but right. just for Berkeley to be very small in the amount of black girls that are continue to come up missing. And I, I would love to highlight that as well, because mm. a lot of not even just black women, but just black children don't get as much news coverage oh, yeah. um, as they should. Gosh. And so I see that being in my future as well. But I just there's I have so many ideas brewing because there's angles, there's national stories that are already out there, stories that have been done. But my brain is always thinking, but has anybody ever done it from a different angle? Perfect example. All of the films out about the civil rights movement all of the films about Martin Luther King, but I'm so intrigued by his bloodline, like how his mother was assassinated at the piano at Ebenezer Baptist Church, which a lot of people don't know. His eldest brother is deceased now as well, but his eldest brother had heart conditions. His eldest brother had five kids and three of them died from heart conditions. Mm. So I just, I would like insight on just the family trauma outside of Martin Luther King of what it's like to lose two of your children. Martin Luther King's mother was an educator, but she had to quit education when she got married and how him and Martin Luther King and his sister both went to college at 14 and 15 years old. Like these are the parts of the story that nobody talks about because right. we only talk about MLK at, when he's at his height. Right. I'm interested in the people that cultivated who he was. That made him who he was. Exactly, and nobody talks about that. That's very and interesting. So, now, yeah. now, folks, you, budding film people out there, you can just forget what was don't said. Don't steal my idea, but if you <laughs> That's do, copyrighted. you can book me right. for a consultation. We have proof right here. Yes. <laughs> yes, we yes. do. Yes, yes, we do. So the social worker in you is uh, yeah. kind of focused in a different direction. It's really lasered into now, into the media and yeah. telling the story. Like yeah. That. When you think about it, even when you all were coming up in school as well, but yeah. film is a, a major tool in which educators use to teach their scholars. Like right. for people who may not always learn through textbooks or through articles, right. like, there's another way for you to learn. And so I would love to integrate more of film and media podcasting into social work programs to further enhance people's way of learning about these issues. Now, for me, I'm a visual learner. I'll watch a film and then I'll find literature on it because mm-hmm. I want to know more about research. And I know there's other people like me who think I just didn't know how broad the social work field was. But really, it's just getting down to the why and helping to mitigate the social ills of the world. And I choose to do that through. Wow. I, I hope you have an opportunity to talk to people before they pass. Yeah. And to get their stories because those are stories that really go to the grave yeah. that yeah. need to be recorded yeah. uh, and yeah. documented and then put together in, in a movie like, like you have in, in the Kinlock doc. Yeah. And we've been talking to Alana Marie, and she is the director of the Kinlock doc, and that can be seen tonight at the Tivoli One. Tomorrow, excuse Tomorrow. me. It can be seen online, though. It on- can be seen online as of today, yes. Okay, online. And how do, how do people see that online? So the same way, if you want to watch it virtually, if you're not able to come to the theater, you can go cinemastl.org. And the same way that you can link to purchase it for this, and it'll say online purchase as well. So you can click it there, and you can watch virtually and be a part of the Ken Lockdown family. I'd love to hear your thoughts on the film and any questions that you may have. I'm very personable, and I just, I love, clearly, as you can see, I love talking about these documentaries i've always found very fascinating i saw one on prude igo several years ago and Mm -hmm. they give you a glimpse into 
a side that you had not thought about. Mm -hmm. And that was the whole, one of the big purposes of why you're doing this particular movie. Yeah. You know, is to expose people to, hey, do you know what really happened here? Do you know what this place was like? This was a vibrant community. This was a vibrant interlocking community where people took care of one another and had Uh everything they needed right here. Yep. And fun facts, my mother is from Pruitt, I go. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. Wow. So my father's from Kenlock. My mother's from Pruitt, I go. Oh, she used to tell us stories about living there and, and what it was like when it rapidly was ran down and mm-hmm. the, the point that my grandparents decided to move. My mother was nine. And there's actually a book on Pruitt, I go by a Bob Hansman. And she had a cousin who was also nine, Kimberly Gaines, who was kidnapped and raped and murdered. And her mm-hmm. body was left in an abandoned building within Pruitt, I go. Oh. That's my mom's first cousin and they oh, were the wow. same age her mom sent her to the grocery store to get some milk and she never came back and oh, so right. at that point my grandparents specifically my grandmother was like we gotta we right. have to go and so they ended up moving out here to florissant but i have a lot of rich history just within my blood and this op- this specific opportunity allowed me the the opportunity to even learn more about my mom mm. upbringing even though she was there for a short time at nine you still remember and you would remember something as traumatic. oh yeah as that tragically unfortunately but mm-hmm. yeah making sure stories like kimberly's get told as well thank you for coming in today this thank has you for been having extremely me. interesting and folks if you're not communicating about your background yeah to your kids yeah or talking to your parents about tell me about when you grew up yep. and where you grew up yep. those are important things that very need to be discussed important. very uh-huh. important just to know just yeah. to know yeah. wow so again <laughs> you can see this <laughs> online at cinemastlouis.org, or you can go to the Tivoli One tomorrow. It's at 2 o'clock is the showing. Tomorrow, Saturday, November the 6th at 2 o'clock, and also online, the Kinlock Doc. Alana Marie, thanks for coming in to St. Louis Thank in Tune. Thank you for having me. We appreciate you listening to this episode of St. Louis in Tune. If you enjoyed this episode, please check out our website, stlintune.com. That's stlintune.com. St. Louis in Tune is produced in cooperation with KWRH 92.9 FM and Motif Media Group. For St. Louis in Tune, I'm Arnold Stricker.